We're going to read now this morning's passage, um, which you'll find on the large Bibles, page 1104, the smaller Bibles, page 581. So this comes after um, the author has been telling us about Moses. It says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. I'm just going to pause. <laughs> but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. But who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt, led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Amen. How can I know if I really am a Christian? How can I know if I really am a Christian? It's a fair enough question, isn't it? All of us have asked that question, haven't we, if we call ourselves a Christian this morning? How do I know if I'm really saved, uh, to use that jargon word? How do I know if I'm really right with God? How do I know that I'll make it to the heavenly country that we were talking about last week? Well, the stakes could not be higher, could they? We're talking really about our eternal life and death. And it all hangs on that question. Am I really a Christian? How can I know I am a Christian? Well, the author here in the book of Hebrews gives us a test. How do we know we're really truly Christians? Well, verse 14 If we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. The test here in the book of Hebrews, for are we really a Christian, am I really saved, is do we keep going until the end? That shows us whether we're really Christians or not. And we know that from experience, don't we, that there are people who don't make it to the end. So we've had situations, you know, a bunch of people... Uh, I'm going to do speech marks uh, if you're listening online. Uh, you know the um, bunny marks. Um, they're called scare quotes. It means questioning the term. But a bunch of people get saved at an evangelistic meeting, or a, a bunch of children get saved at a youth group. What happens next? Almost invariably. Well, some of them you'll never hear from again. I remember a guy who professed faith at an evangelistic meeting. Never saw him again. Some of them will keep on going for a while and then, another scare quote, fall away. Some of them will go on as Christians for the rest of their lives. So what is going on? 
Is it deficient evangelistic techniques? Are we not doing it right? Is it false conversions? Are, are we fooling people that they're Christians? Is it that this is an especially hard climate for somebody to be a Christian? Well, I think as we look at questions like this, it's best to think of it like Jesus did. This isn't on your sheet, but you'll be familiar with it. Matthew 13. And I told them many things in parables, and he told them many things in parables, saying, a sower went out to sow. And he, as he sowed, some feed, seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately sprung up. But since they had no depth, when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And we know what that parable's about, don't we? It's about hearing the word of God. It's about getting saved, if you like. But which of those seeds is saved? Which of those soils is saved? Well, suppose if you looked at those seeds growing up, after six months it would probably be quite hard to tell. Of course, some would fall on the first hurdle, the ones that fell on the the path, but other ones, they could carry on a bit longer. But the way that you know is that they keep growing. They keep bearing fruit. That's what tells us what is the good soil. Now, as Jesus said that, as the author here writes this, the author's goal is not to terrify us. Because it can be quite scary, can't it? The good soil might not bear fruit every season. As Christians, we might go through bad patches. We can even go through backslidings where it seems like we're not Christians. I don't think it's talking there about relentless growth until the end. But it's talking about a faith that in the end perseveres. Issues of memory and mental health uh, taken into account there. But I find it scary sometimes when we read things like this about falling away. Because the question then comes to me, well, what if I'm one of them? What if I don't keep going to the end? Can I lose my salvation? There's some passages in Hebrews as we go through it that are going to sound really scary. Can I lose my salvation? Well, the biblical answer is no. No, we can't lose our salvation. But we can be the seed that falls amongst thorns. We can be the seed that falls on rocky ground. Those things are possible for us. We just don't have neat theological categories for them. So what was Jesus' application of what he said? Well, he told them, didn't he? He who has ears, let him hear. That's not a pun on being corn or anything like that. It's actually saying, hear, listen, keep listening. That's what the good soil does. That's how the seed starts to grow. And that's how the seed keeps growing. By hearing, by listening. But this raises a really important question for us, doesn't it? Is God speaking? If we're to hear God, is he speaking? We saw in Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, you find it on the back of your sheets, that God has spoken. So Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. God has spoken. Jesus is God's final word. But does that mean God's closed up shop? Does God speak no longer? Is he no longer in the speaking business? Is it just that he's done it now? 
Well, verses 7 to 11 in our passage give us the answer. I'll read them to us again, 7 to 11. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to death and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. What we see there is that God speaks to us. God speaks to us. The Holy Spirit says, not says. And yet we've seen that that was actually written back in a psalm, uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years before. But he says, says, says. And what follows there is a quote from Psalm 95. And Psalm 95 is really a commentary on Exodus 17, which is what we explained to the children earlier. And what we have here in Hebrews is God's New Testament commentary on God's commentary on Exodus in the Psalms, which was God's commentary on what happened in the wilderness. So it's sort of God speaking about God speaking about God speaking. A commentary of a commentary of a commentary. But even that in itself shows us God speaking through the ages, doesn't it? Before we even look at what it says. God spoke to the wilderness generation who died in the wilderness. God spoke to the next generation through Moses writing the book of Exodus. God spoke in the ear of the kings as he calls the psalmist to muse on the events in Exodus. And then God spoke to the author of Hebrews as he mused on the psalm. So God is actually speaking all the way through those different parts. But crucially, we see that God is still speaking by his spirit. The Holy Spirit says, not said. God, the Holy Spirit, is still speaking today. God has not given up on the speaking business. And if you're not convinced by that, just by the the word says, look at what the quote itself says. So, verse 7, second half. Today, if you hear his voice. Today. The implication is that God is still speaking. That's how you can hear his voice. Otherwise, the quotation makes no sense, does it, if we can't hear his voice today. The psalmist assumes that we could hear his voice. The author of the Hebrews assumes that we can hear God's voice today. And I don't think the author is addressing a special group uh, of people I take this to mean that God speaks to ordinary, everyday, run-of-the-mill Christians. We can hear his voice. Not only can we hear his voice, but we must hear his voice. If we want to survive as Christians, then we must hear him. We must listen. If we want to be good soil, we must have ears that hear. If we want to avoid being choked by thorns, we must hear If we want to enter God's rest in verse 11, we must hear him. And God expects a response as we hear him. We're not to harden our hearts. You see that in verse 8? Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. That's what Israel did in the wilderness. Now if you think about it, that's quite a shocking phrase to use of the Israelites in the wilderness. Because who hardens their hearts? In Exodus, if you remember back in life groups, who's the famous one in Exodus who hardens his heart? It's Pharaoh. 
Pharaoh's the one that we know as having his heart hardened. By using these words, he's saying that, well, the Israelites who came out, they're just a bunch of Pharaohs. You're just like my enemy, you won't listen. So the psalmist and the author of Hebrews are both saying, look, the question is not whether God is speaking. The question is, are you listening? Or are you hardening your hearts? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Don't be like the Israelites who provoked God to anger and never made it into the promised land. If we want to make it to heaven, the new creation, we must listen to his voice. So there's an incredibly crucial question now, isn't there? How? How do we hear God speak? Well, the surprising answer in our passage is this. God speaks through us. Each other. I bet you weren't expecting that answer, were you? You were expecting, it's the Bible. But before you call me a heretic, well, look at our passage, verses 12 to 14. Take care, brothers, lest any, lest there be in any of you unbelieving, an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. God's strategy here to keep us going, to keep us firm till the end, is the church. Look at the person next to you. God has given them to you to keep you going. Look at the person next to you. God has given them to you. Sorry, given you to them for you to keep them going. We are to see to it that none of us has an unbelieving heart. The command there is communal. And I think I've always misunderstood it as I've read it. I've always assumed it's saying make sure you don't have one. But it's actually saying, make sure that none of you have one. It's making sure that you care for one another. It's actually a communal command. God wants us to be responsible for the people sitting around us. Did you know that? Do you know the people sitting around you? It's not just the pastor in the Bible that's given the care of souls. All of us are responsible for people around us. All of us are to help one another to keep going. In the race of faith that that God has given us, he stuck us all on the same team. And the objective isn't to win the race, it's to make sure that everybody gets over the finish line. That's what God wants us to do. So if your race is going great, fine. What can you do to help someone else? If you're stumbling in the race... When was the last time you asked somebody else for help? We're here for each other. How do we help each other? Well, verse 13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We're to do this by speaking God's word into each other's lives daily. Let me unpack that for a few moments. We're to exhort one another. Now, I actually had to look that up to check I understood what the word exhort means. You don't come across it very much, do you, outside of the Bible or outside of church situations. Problem is, the dictionary doesn't tell you how the Bible uses it. 
So if you have a look on the back of your sheet, it's used loads in the book of Hebrews, but it's translated in all sorts of different ways that, that give us a better idea about what this means. So I won't read them all out, but they're in Hebrews 10. It's there to encourage one another. I'll put them in bold. In, in Hebrews 6, it's have strong encouragement. Uh, in Hebrews 12, it's the exaltation that addresses us as sons. In Hebrews uh, 13, it's there that word urge. And then in Hebrews 13, 22, I'll read this because it's mentioned twice in it. I appeal, same word, to you brothers to bear with my word of exaltation, same word, for which I've written to you briefly. The word in Greek is, excuse my Greek pronunciation, uh, parakalio, parakalio, or karakalio, sorry. Someone who does that is a paraclete which some of you might have come across that word. It's used in the Bible to describe what the Holy Spirit does in John's Gospel. It can mean to comfort, it can mean to counsel, to instruct, to urge, to appeal, to encourage. That is what it's telling us to do to each other. Comfort, counsel, instruct, urge, appeal, encourage. What does that look like? Well, helpfully, Hebrews tells us, look again at that verse Uh, chapter 13 verse 22 i appeal to you brothers bear with my word of exhortation for i have written to you briefly now at that point he's on chapter 13 which always makes me smile so i've written to you briefly but what he's talking about there is the book of hebrews itself the exhortation that he's giving is the book of hebrews that's the letter that he's sending so the book of hebrews itself is an example of what it looks like to exhort someone It's a model of what exhortation looks like for the Christian. What the book of Hebrews does, we are to do for each other. To do that, I need you to forget something for a minute. Okay? Uh, Just just for a moment. Okay? Yeah? Okay? I want you to forget, just for a moment, that the book of Hebrews is itself God's word. Okay? Don't forget that for long. But let's just put that on pause for a second. Lay that to one side. What is the book of Hebrews doing as we read through it? Well, have you noticed, even from our own passage, it's taking God's word in the Old Testament and applying it to the lives of the hearers. That's basically what it's doing all the way through the book. Now, it uses some quotes, but it's not just a collection of quotes, is it? It's not just quoting scripture at them. And the book of Hebrews would have looked different if it had been written to a different group of Christians, wouldn't it? It's personal to the people that he's writing to. The author of Hebrews is a Christian himself writing to other Christians. And he's exhorting them with God's word to keep going until the end. So you can stop forgetting now that Hebrews itself is God's word, because otherwise it gets a bit complicated. Hebrews is God's word. But it means that biblical exhortation is doing what Hebrews does. Speaking God's word into each other's lives. That is what we are to do with each other. That is the means that God has given us to keep going. That is how God speaks today. That is how we hear his voice. But why am I, why am I saying that? Because some of you will be thinking, I know what some of you are thinking. Uh, hang on, no. <laughs> God speaks as the Spirit illuminates the words that God has already spoken. That's what we sung in that hymn, wasn't it, just before we... Uh, before we looked at God's word. 
The Spirit gives us insight into his word, and that's how God speaks today. And you would be right. That is absolutely true. But isn't that exactly what's happening in the book of Hebrews? The Spirit enlightening the author as he looks at Psalm 95. The bit that we miss in this is that often God gives us insights for other people. God doesn't just give us insights for ourselves, as though it's just me and God, and the Spirit illuminates the Word. Actually, God can illuminate the Word through us for other people, can't he? So think about it. Why does God inspire the author of Hebrews to write this, rather than just give this directly to the people that he's writing to? Actually, as the author of Hebrews muses on the word, he then writes it to somebody else. It's not really, in one sense, for him. It's actually for someone else. I mean, God could have just got them to read Psalm 95, couldn't he? And and done the work through the Spirit in them. But instead, he gets the author to write to them. So God's chosen means to do this is the church, each other. The church is not an accident It's God's gift to us to keep us going, to make sure that we make it to heaven, to the promised land. So going to make a plea for a moment. Don't miss church if you can help it. For your own sake, because it's here to help you. For the sake of others, because you're here to help them. You are God's chosen means to keep the person next to you going. So what happens when you're not sat next to them? What happens when you don't say hello? God has made us interdependent. Yes, the Spirit speaks as we open the word. Absolutely, amen. But he might be speaking into the situation of the person three seats down from you. What a shame if we just keep that to ourselves. And this really does seem to be what the author has in mind. I'm not just reading this into it. We're to do this as long as it's called today. That's what it says, isn't it? So that we don't have an unbelieving heart, which is hardened by sin. The language of what we're told to do fits with the quote that we've just read from Psalm 95, doesn't it? Today, hearts hardened. The language of the command is the language of the quote. So who is God speaking through today? Us. Through the author here, through us speaking to one another. We are the ones who are doing the speaking now. This is how we hear God's voice today, by exhorting others. Now, others of you are probably thinking, really? Is that it? Doesn't God speak to us in all sorts of different ways? Through voices or visions or words of knowledge? And on the whole, I'd want to say, please go back and listen to our first sermon on Hebrews 1 verse 1. Because if we get into that, then we'll be here all morning. Uh, And we've addressed it already earlier on in the the series, so do have a look at that. So, we know what we're to do now, exhort one another. But our passage has more to say, doesn't it? And this is going to come as a bit of a shock too, I think, to us. It tells us when to do it. And the answer is daily. Do you see that? Verse 13, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today. We're to do this daily. Now, I found this challenging this week as I was thinking this through. It doesn't just say weekly. It doesn't even say twice on a Sunday. It says daily. 
Do we exhort other Christians daily? Do we see other Christians daily? Not just our spouse or our family. Now we have a huge advantage over the people of of that day. We don't actually need to be in each other's presence, do we now? uh, As we, we speak to one another. Having said that, then, neither did the Hebrews, did they? Because actually, this is a letter um, that he wrote. He wasn't actually in their presence. But we have social media, texts, emails, WhatsApp. Not forgetting telephones and letters, if you haven't got any of those other things. And they can be so, so helpful. But as I was thinking through this this week, I, I can't help thinking this isn't quite what he has in mind. Not that those are bad things to do. The problem is, if they're all that we do. Still better than nothing, but if that's all that we do, I don't think that's really what the author has got in mind. He's expecting them to be a community. He's expecting them to be involved in each other's lives daily. And as they do that, as they spend that time daily, they're to exhort one another, speak God's word into situations that they know because they're seeing them on a regular basis. Now, I'm not suggesting daily church. As in, you know, we'll open up the building and and have church every day. I'm not suggesting that we see Christians to the exclusion of non-believers. But we do have to do justice to that word daily, every day. And we all know why it's there, don't we, really, if we think about it. Because we struggle daily. We're always being lied to by sin. That's what sin does. Look at the second half of verse 13. That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin tries to harden us every day. So we need to help each other every day. Could you imagine if you got trouble sleeping and uh, doctor said, right, here you go, here's a sleeping pill. He said, right, okay, well, I'll, I'll take it once a week. It wouldn't work, would it? They always have it on the, li- on the label, nearly always, you know, to be taken daily. The reason is that it's a daily problem, isn't it? It's a daily problem, so we need a daily solution. The devil doesn't take a day off, does he? So yes, read your Bible daily if you can. Yes, pray daily if you can. But what about being exhorted daily? What about exhorting others daily? Are we serious about that? What can we do to do that? Well, I put that as the over coffee question, because we're just going to scratch the surface. We might not be able to do things daily, but we could do things more often, couldn't we? Could we go along to a life group if we don't go to a life group? Could we go to an evening service? Not just for the service, but for the chat afterwards as we interact with each other. Could we meet up to discuss the Bible one evening a week with someone? Could we start seriously discussing the sermon on a Sunday afternoon with our spouse or family? Could we read ahead with someone on Friday before the sermon because we know what passage is coming up? Could we do the Bible reading scheme with someone and chat about them once a, about, about it once a fortnight? Those aren't daily things, but they're, they're getting there, aren't they? You might not be able to meet daily, but could you do something daily? Could you send a text with a quiet time thought? Could you write an email to the Dullahoids in France or the Max in Indonesia? Could you ring somebody who couldn't get out this morning? Could you Skype someone with a spiritual question and get the other person to do the work? That's my favourite one. 
Could you start a WhatsApp group with a couple of others and take it in turns to share just a sentence or two about something that God has been saying to you? There are literally thousands of ways that we can exhort one another daily. There are countless ways in that sense that we can hear God speak. And I'm sure that you guys can come with even more over coffee. But there's just one really important thing we need to remember before we finish. Last point. Just hearing will undo us. So God speaks through us. Sorry, God speaks to us. God speaks through us. Just hearing will undo us. Having said all that about hearing God speak, what an amazing privilege it is to hear and to speak God's word to one another, that's not enough. Daily text messages from others or or even meeting up to read the Bible, all those things are great. But amazingly, our passage shows us that hearing God speak, even hearing God speak, will not bring us into God's rest, will not take us to the promised land, will not get us to heaven. Because there's hearing and there's hearing, isn't there? There's hearing and there's really listening. And again, the author uses the Israelites in in the wilderness to show us this. Have a look at verses 15 to 19. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. There are three questions posed in that passage, and it tells us a few things about the Israelites. They were led by Moses out of Egypt. And they heard, and yet they rebelled. Have you ever stopped to think about that? They unmistakably heard God speak. They'd seen his works, verse 9. They'd seen him bring them out of Egypt. They'd seen the plagues. They'd seen the parting of the Red Sea. They'd seen the pillar of cloud and of fire. Has any other generation seen so many miraculous works? Yet they rebelled. Wow. You ever think that? It's amazing, really, isn't it? They knew God was there. They'd heard him speak. And yet they rebelled. Did they doubt God's existence? Well, how could they? He was there in a pillar of fire and a cloud before them. Did they not hear him speak? Well, of course they did. Through Moses. Well, was it Moses' fault then? Well, no, Moses was a faithful servant in God's house. That's what we saw last week. It's not that they didn't hear. It's what they did with what they heard. They sinned and they were judged. Uh, We see that there in... Uh, in the, the verses that follow, 17 and 18. They disobeyed. They went out and did the opposite of what God said. There's an amazing incident, I don't know if you remember it from when we did Exodus in life groups, where God told them to go into the promised land and they refused. So then God told them not to go in the promised land and they try and go in. They disobeyed, they didn't listen to his word. So what does the author put it down to? Is it bloody-mindedness? Is it a disobedient spirit? Is it bad parenting? Well, the author gets to the the root cause, doesn't he, in verse 19. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. 
As we say, it wasn't that they didn't believe that he existed. They just didn't believe what they heard. It's a repeat of Adam and Eve, isn't it? They knew God existed. They heard his voice. But they chose to believe something else. And just as Adam and Eve were cast out of God's rest, so the Israelites failed to enter it. So let me finish with a question as we face that that issue there. Do you believe God? Not do you believe in God, not do you believe that God has spoken, do you believe what God has said, what God is saying? Because it's not enough just to hear, is it? As you hear God speak, the test of it will be this, as to whether you believe it. Will you do what it says? Will you act on what you hear? Let me say something controversial. We're hearing God's word now, aren't we? That's not the controversial bit. (laughs) But sitting in a sermon is worse than useless if you don't do what it says. If you sit in judgment over God's word and do not discern his voice as he speaks. If you say, oh, Chris told us to talk to one another about the gospel again. Or Chris told us we need to be spending more time with each other. And do not hear God say, exhort one another daily, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. But we don't call it hardening our hearts, do we? Because we're good evangelicals when we don't do what God says. We call it being realistic, don't we? We call it, tried that before, it doesn't work. We call it, well, no one else is doing it. I wonder what the Israelites who died in the wilderness called it. Our faith is not a game, is it? If we get this wrong, we will die in the wilderness, spiritually speaking. This is a matter of eternal life and death. So what will stop us obeying God's word? What do we let stop us? Our own excuses? It's no wonder, is it, that the author compares us to those in the wilderness? I'm speaking to myself here as well. We can be very good at coming up with excuses not to do what God says. But if we want to hold our confidence firm to the end, it's not enough to just hear God's word and do nothing about it. The Israelites heard and it did them absolutely no good. That's what we'll pick up on next week. But we know that hearing will not save us, don't we? We we explain that to non-Christians. You can't just hear. But this isn't written to unbelievers, is it? It's written to believers. Just hearing will not help us make it to the promised land, the heavenly country, any more than it helped them get there. But we can get there. It's good news if we hold fast, not in our own strength, but in God's. Not by ourselves, but together with those that God has placed around us. We can know that we really are Christians as we keep going together, as we help one another keep going. So let's pray for God's help to do that as we go uh, into our Sundays, we go into our week that God would stop us by each other being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin and not make it into the promised land. Let's pray.